I had been chatting with my son and daughter and their friends about the relative merits of Facebook. I was actually surprised to learn that a number of them, including my kids, and um, well, including my kids, that they had either neither ever signed on or had recently signed off. Although everyone did admit that they had a highly curated group of friends and family on Instagram, which, as you know, is brought to you by Facebook. My daughter pointed me to a blog addressing the seven ways to be insufferable on Facebook, in which the blogger describes how annoying statuses reek of motivations like image crafting, narcissism, attention craving, and jealousy inducing. But this conversation got me thinking about all of the ways we market ourselves because that's what Facebook and Instagram is in one sense. It's a great marketing platform. And that's how it's sold to us, really. Facebook says, reports to you how many likes you had each week. And you're made to feel bad if you didn't get any. What's shared in social media is a personally constructed presentation of oneself, right? And as the blog suggests, this presentation can be a somewhat bogus image masquerading as authentic. Of course, we don't need technology and social media to reveal that we have an innate tendency to hide behind projected images of ourselves. We humans have played the game of masquerade forever. I mean, isn't that how you spend a lot of your waking hours? Presenting an image of yourself in some form or context? That we're all liars and pretenders to varying degrees can hardly be denied, I think. We let others see what we want them to see, and we hide the rest. Take me, for instance. I'm, you know, I'm an okay minister and have achieved a certain station as evidenced by the address of this modest house of worship, accumulated some academic degrees, I've participated in assembling a diverse and talented staff and congregation, and you know, left to my own devices, I am inclined to take credit for all of it. Not only that, but credit for growing up in a reasonably loving and stable home in the wealthiest nation in the world, and credit for the astonishing opportunities I was presented with through no fault of my own, and credit for the presence, for your presence, credit for this place. I take credit for speaking the word of God, even on those days when I know for certain that I speak for no one but myself. Actually, you know, wearing this robe is something of a two-edged sword. On the one hand, it serves a useful purpose of minimizing the individual and accentuating the long history of the robust tradition I represent. I mean, that's the point of this outfit, in case you ever wondered. That is the point. On the other hand, I tell you for certain that it's a disguise, a masquerade 
Will the real Stephen Bauman step out from behind the pulpit, please? But if I were to wear faded jeans and a flannel shirt like many hip preachers today, would I be more fully disclosed to you, do you think? Or in the guise of a humble, oh shucks, just plain old me persona, had I simply exchanged one costume for another with no one the wiser about the inner person? Everyone wears a costume. Faded jeans and a flannel shirt is every bit of costume, as this outfit is that I'm wearing. From the perspective of our spiritual tradition, there's a good one-word descriptor for me. And it's a word I rarely ever use in reference to myself, and I certainly don't share it publicly. And that word is sinner. That word has fallen out of fashion, of course. I don't know if that's because we feel as though we're beyond it or that we've concluded sin was part of the faulty theological system that's come before. Certainly it is a word that is prone to abuse. In these last decades, we've been weaned on more positive ideas such as people are all basically good. We emphasize the importance of positive self-esteem And that's a useful psychological concept up to a point. The power of positive thinking and so forth. Still, it's hard to make complete sense of the gospel without doing some homework about this word sin. For one thing, Jesus is frequently accused of hanging out with people that are referred to as sinners. They seem to be his friends. That's what the righteous types were saying about him in today's lesson. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. I bet he drinks with them too. Since on another occasion he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Lots of eating and lots of drinking going down with the wrong sorts of people. What's interesting is that those who are identified as the sinners are the ones who get Jesus' attention as opposed to the men in the temple. Evidently, the scribes think Jesus will be tainted by hanging out with the so-called riffraff. These righteous types have already determined who's in and who's out of God's favor. And true to form, Jesus overturns their suppositions. Paul, writing to his friend Timothy, referred to himself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence. Evidently, though, the spirit of Jesus hung out with him for a while, which eventually led Paul to write, The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now, as I stand here today, I would not tell you that I'm the foremost sinner present. But I will say that I think I'm in very good company. And the use of the word good here is an ironic sensibility. We're all in the same boat. 
while I have my disguises, without even knowing what yours are, I would bet the house that you have them. We can't function, really, without them. And while I suspect that a pretty good sampling of the varieties of human weaknesses is represented here, are represented here this morning, hidden behind our screen identities, from one perspective, that is all to the good. I mean, there's very little that actually separates us from those who are outside these walls, other than we might just know who our real friends are, friends who can see behind the disguise and still love us. Still. And we know for certain that among them is this man named Jesus. If anyone sees us as we are, he does. You know, thinking about this, I am pretty convinced that the disguises we wear have three audiences. Other people, God, and ourselves. I think we wear disguises often to hide from ourselves. You might recall that John Newton, the composer of that famous hymn we just sang, Amazing Grace, was a slaver who eventually renounced his profession and became an active abolitionist. His tombstone epitaph sums up his experience. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. John Newton is part of the Good Sinner Company. Jesus evidently hung out with him and probably sat at his table sharing food and drink, and I, I find some comfort in that. Here's the good news of the gospel. Here's the good news of the gospel. No masquerade artist falls beyond the range of God's grace. That's the good news of the gospel. No masquerade artist falls beyond the range of God's grace. That's it. That's it. There is no so-called sinner, no outcast, no unworthy person, no one who falls beyond God's love. The wonderful, if maddening, truth is there is nothing we can do to make God love us more and there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. And I tell you that this sort of God makes us really uncomfortable and edgy. Oh, my. Grace throws out our measurements of fairness. And aren't we very sure about those who don't deserve the same as us, right? Right? 
I mean, we're very sure about that. We can be quite clear about who belongs and who doesn't belong, who's up and who's down, and who's our equal and who isn't. The righteous types in the gospel knew these things for sure. But then that was part of their disguise, their righteousness. The part of the church universal, the part of the church universal, that expends great energy on determining who's in and who's out, completely misses what I'm talking about today. They practice a different faith than what I practice. You know, the, the folks in the temple who were criticizing Jesus could have been part of the company of Jesus' friends. They could have been included. All they had to do was to pull up a chair and join the party. That's all they had to do. Pull up a chair and join the party. After all, that's what the wayward do according to the parables. When the lost are found, you need to throw a party. No wonder there's so much eating and drinking among Jesus' friends. They're constantly partying. And those of you that know me know that I find this behavior Highly inspirational. <laughs> now, there are some persons sitting here disguised who believe they do not deserve such unconditional love. They fear they are beyond God's reach or want to remain so so they'll hold this grace at arm's length. Of course, to be beyond God's reach would make them larger than God. It's an inverted form of arrogance, really. Silly. Others sense that to accept such love would result in radical change in their lives like removing their disguise for good. And so out of a kind of fear, they'll keep the gift wrapped, unopened, on a closet shelf, comforted every now and a while, by, once in a while, by remembering that it's there, but strangely disquieted by harboring such spiritual dynamite and wind up living a much smaller, cramped life than they might have, spending out their days in exchanging one costume for another. I have said it before, and I will say it again, and I'll say it again after that. Theologically speaking, I am a radical grace man. How else to account for the elevation of a criminal loser up into our sparkling golden mosaics? 
That's the sort of startling reversal that lies at the heart of the culture of our God. Humans tried to kill it, radical grace. They still do try to kill it or ignore it, but it wouldn't, couldn't die, can't die. It's stitched into every inch of creation fabric. You sit with this concept, friends, and it will blow your mind. 